Support for Industry Focus comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, work with one that has your best interests in mind. Use Rocket Mortgage for a transparent, trustworthy home loan process that's completely online at quickenloans.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every single day. I'm your host, Christine Hargis, and it is January 4th, 2017, meaning it's our first healthcare episode of the new year. Healthcare contributor Todd Campbell is joining me via Skype. How's it going, Todd? Hi, Christine. How are you? I'm great. Welcome to January. Yeah, happy new year. Thanks. It's my birthday month. I'm, I'm excited. Oh, exciting. So, we are jumping the gun a little bit this week and talking resolutions. And I say that we're jumping the gun because next week we'll actually get to our individual financial resolutions across the entire industry focused team. But Todd and I thought that it would be fun to do this first show on resolutions that we hope healthcare companies are making in 2017. 2016 was a pretty brutal year to be a shareholder in many healthcare companies. The biotech sector, as measured by the IBB, was down 18%. And there were plenty of individual companies as well across the entire healthcare spectrum that bled even worse than that. So it's a new year. Todd, do you think they're going to turn around? It's a, it's all, hey, listen, I'm an optimist at heart. So, <laughs> wow, tough you know, sector for that. Yeah, let's 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 hope that a lot of the damage has been done, and some of these biotech companies uh, make some smart moves and, and get a little bit more successful. We saw a lot of surprising disappointments, if you will, um, last year, and hopefully we won't get a repeat this year. And I'm sure we're going to address some of those in our resolutions. Uh, but before we get into that, I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh boy, what uh, do you have any personal resolutions for this year? I have financial resolutions for sure, and so those I'm going to save for the next show. I don't, I don't have any non-financial ones specifically. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, Do you? no problem. I, uh, well, my my goal would be like you know, like many Americans, uh, you know, once you get up into the middle age. God, I hate saying middle age, right? But uh, start putting on a little bit, little few pounds more than I'd like to have. So yeah, then the holidays. Try and drop a couple pounds. <laughs> All right. Well, good for you, and best of luck with it. Well, you know, it's all figure it's healthcare oriented. Yeah, that that's pretty related, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> all right, great. Uh, so let's let's get to giving some of these companies some advice. Hopefully, we've got a couple of executives that are listening in, trying to see what Christine Hargis and Todd Campbell would like them to do in 2017. Hey, as we've seen in the past, uh, that wouldn't shock me. Hey, <laughs> you never know. So, first company that we wanted to talk about, and this one couldn't possibly be a surprise to any of our regular listeners, Gilead Sciences. What do you think they need to do to resolve to do in 2017? Gilead Sciences needs to lose a little weight, too. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. This is a, a pretty bloated company if, if you're talking about cash. They've got $32 billion just sitting there in cash and equivalents, and it's been weighing them down. Oh boy, I tell you, they they have so much money on the balance sheet, and it's it's almost like investors are like, do you even know what you want to do with it? Um, because they, they, you know they've said over and over, quarter after quarter, we want to put it to work, we want to buy smart, we want to acquire companies at the right price, but we've also at the same time seen a lot of high profile deals get done. That could have, you know, reignited investor enthusiasm last year, and you know, Gilead Sciences has has struggled a bit over the last 12 months. You know, declining sales because of of lower unit volume growth for hepatitis C and some price uh, competition. Um, so they they could use some positive news here 
in 2017 that helps to show investors, okay, this is our path forward to growth. Yeah, I give this company a lot of credit, and I do trust their management team a ton. But sometime in 2017, they're going to have to pull the trigger. You would think so. I mean, they've been pretty smart about raising money and padding that balance sheet uh, at cheap, um, cheap rates. Um, you know, they've got the dividend that they're paying out to people. You could argue, okay, well, wouldn't that money be better off used somewhere else? But right now, they're not using that money for anything. So yeah, give it back to me in a dividend. Right. That or the um, share buybacks. They've been very generous about those. They did. They did ten billion dollars worth of share buybacks in the first three quarters of the, of the year. Uh, but that slowed down dramatically in the third quarter. They only bought back about a billion dollars, and a lot of people thought, "Hey, you know, this could be a sign that you know they're trying to really get ready to make a push and do a deal." Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, there's no question that M&A valuation has gotten off the charts crazy. I mean, I, what Medivation went for like 14 times sales. Um, you know, I, I've seen some studies that say that we're now in the mid to high double digits. There's a price, there's a deal out there right now that's being theoretically um, um, negotiated for Actillion between Johnson & Johnson, Actillion and Santa Fe. And you know that could be at a multiple of 14 or 15 times sales. So I mean, I understand that these deals are pricey now, but at the same time, you've got a company like a Pfizer who also has a ton of cash out there and they showed investors that they're willing to, they, they gave investors a pathway towards their growth. You know, they made a big splash into biosimilars, which could obviously be a big market over the course of the next decade. That's, you know, we'll call it, for lack of a better term, generic drugs biologics. So it's, it's kind of a new uh, thing that we've talked about in the past in the show. Uh, and then, of course, with buying, you know, the leading prostate cancer drug, and they showed that they, you know, committed to growing in cancer. So I think Gilead kind of needs to make some of those same kind of moves to show investors, okay, this is how we're going to grow over the course of the next five or ten years. Right. And speaking of cancer, I think they did give us a little bit of a clue just recently. I forget if the news came out this morning or it was within the last couple of days anyway, but they just hired a new senior vice president of hematology and oncology. And this is somebody named Alessandra Riva, who comes from Novartis, where he was the head of oncology. So this suggests to me that that's what they're looking to do, is beef up their oncology unit. It's not done well in the past, but I think they're going to be persistent about it, and I, if I had to guess, I would say that is the the field in which we'll see the acquisition made when it right. comes. Absolutely agree with you. They're obviously committing to it. They, Zydelic has not been a success for them, uh, you know, since its launch. Um, so we'll see. Maybe maybe uh, we should start making up a list of possible targets in cancer. That would be a fun show. Who could Gilead buy? Absolutely. All right, so let's move on to another company. Uh, this is a, an even more troubled company over the past year than Gilead Sciences, Valiant Pharmaceuticals, which is a company that is down 85% over the past year. What do they need to do? Something. <laughs> Anything? <laughs> Anything. You know, Valiant is uh, it's a struggling company. You know, it, it had this wonderful business model, right, that everybody was just flocking to years ago where you buy a drug or acquire a company, you reprice that drug higher, and then you relaunch it with a brand new marketing campaign. And you know they chose to go that route and kind of forego internal development of candidates. They're one of the one drug maker that invests very little historically relative to peers in their own internal R and D uh, pipeline. So now they've run into a situation where they're incredibly heavily indebted. 
Um, they've run afoul of, um, of regulators on some of their past practices for sales and marketing. Um, and, you know, that's cast a lot of uh, a long shadow, if you will, over, you know, again, how, how is this company going to go from all the struggles it's been enduring and, you know, be able to show investors, look, this is how we're going to succeed in the future. They're doing some things right. But there's still a lot of question marks out there, and I, you know, I think they need to resolve to put those question marks behind them, and again, show investors this is where we're going to be in the next three years, five years, ten years. Right. They have a couple of different ways that they could go about trying to turn themselves around, and I do think that we need a little bit more guidance on what exactly that will be. One thing that many investors have speculated is that they could sell part of the company. In particular, one name that comes up is the Bosch & Loam subsidiary of Valiant, which makes up roughly half of their revenue. And This is a company that they acquired back in 2013 for $8.7 billion. And back then, it was generating $3.3 billion in annual revenue. This uh, unit is now generating $4.6 billion in annualized based on third quarter earnings. So, in theory, that could make it worth around $12 billion, although everybody knows that Valiant is under pricing pressure and under all sorts of scrutiny. So, I'm not sure what they would even be able to get for this unit at this point. And you know, it's such an interesting contrast to the Actelion bidding that you mentioned earlier with J&J. Where the price yeah. is just going up and up and getting inflated, I think Valiant's the complete opposite right here. Right. I mean, they're just not in a power position. They don't have the bargaining power. And frankly, you know, Bausch and Lomb is the is the crown jewel uh, of their organization. It's the only one of their three segments that posted year over year growth in the third quarter. And you know, my fear would be, okay, you get rid of that unit and you're left with the. The, the other stuff, you know, um, to be diplomatic. I mean, it's just these other parts of their business are not nearly as attractive. So, I mean, yeah, you go out and let's say you can get $12 billion. Well, you're still stuck with $20 billion of debt on the balance sheet. And now you've got the two slow growing or no growing parts of the business that are left. You know, it's, it's almost like they need to rebrand themselves, get rid of the Valiant name, take the Bausch & Lohm name, and then toss the other parts of the business to to whoever will take it. Say, hey, take it off our hands and take some debt with you. Yeah, trim the fat. I can see that, too. Um, another thing It's going to be do... a very, very interesting year for them. I, the other thing that I'd like to see them do, Christine, I, I know that you know you and I, we follow these this stock, and quarter after quarter after quarter, they've continued to cut their estimates where they think that they're going to earn. You can't continue to do that and restore confidence. They've yeah, no, got, those are diametrically opposed. Right. You've got to rip the Band-Aid off. We've got new management there that that should encourage some people. Okay, So that's that's good news. But you've got to rip the Band-Aid off. You've got to lowball those estimates for 2017 and then over-deliver, over-deliver. And if they can do that, then I think you restore some confidence. People start to get a little bit more enthusiastic. You you, you cut some of that SGNA expense. Their their SGNA as a as percentage of revenue, I think, is about 27%. To put that in perspective, that's like 5% higher than J and J. That's double what uh, Gilead Sciences is. Um, you know, they they've got to do a better job if the sales are going to decline. They've got to do a better job of keeping up on cutting that SGNA. You know that actually sounds extremely New Year's resolutiony. You know, make a a fairly small goal and just knock that one out of the park, as opposed to saying, "I'm going to lose 20 pounds," and then when you don't lose it immediately, you give up. 
Right. If you're working in the right direction, show investors that you are indeed working in that right direction. You know, you can't just say, well, sequentially, we're seeing some improvement and then cut forward guidance. That's not going to do it. you got to say sequentially, we're improving. And look, we're exceeding the guidance that we gave you. And if they can do that, then they don't need to sell these other parts of the business. They have some time. And eventually, the comparisons will get easier. The year-over-year comparisons will get easier. So as long as creditors are willing to play ball with them, and I think they, I think at this point they are. Um, then you know, 2017 could, if they play this right, end up being a transition year. And that's how you build back up the confidence. Support for industry focus comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with somebody that you can trust and who has your best interests in mind. With Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. Whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com fool, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Thanks again so much to Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for supporting our podcast. Okay, Todd. Let's get rolling with another company that we think should have a pretty firm resolution. Well, I, you know what? I'm going to throw the entire biotech industry in this, uh, into this one. I, I think that biotech needs to have to, to take a really, really hard look, and biopharma will say, hard look at the way that they're pricing their drugs. And, you know, they need to focus on innovation and stop focusing on growth through price increases. And setting arbitrary, uh, we're not gonna increase our prices more than say 10% per year. Um, and then going right up to 9.9%. You're calling out Brent Saunders, aren't you? A little bit, a little bit. I mean, Allergan was, they were at the at the forefront of saying we need to self-regulate on pricing and we're gonna commit to our consumers that we're not gonna raise our prices more than you know double digit rates. And um, sure enough, the, the you know, reports out of from different Wall Street analysts who, who track the pricing show that he did indeed keep come underneath that double digit rate. But, you know, 9.5 percent. I mean, consider the optics here, people. You know, I mean, you know, if in, if inflation's three percent and you're going at nine point something percent to come underneath the 10 percent, I, I don't know whether or not that I, I feel like that doesn't do a whole heck of a lot to, you know, encourage the average person who's reading this news flow and saying, oh, well, yeah, great. Well, it's, I guess it's less than 50% and it's less than 20%, but come on. To be fair, if you look at the industry as a whole, and, and I, I don't think this is really an excuse for Allergan, but relative to the broader industry, a 9.5% increase is actually not that much. The average price of a brand name drug increased 16.2% in 2015, which that's the the latest numbers that we have from the Express Scripts Drug Trend Report. These prices have also increased almost 100% since 2011. One third of branded drugs increased their price by more than 20% in 2015. Which is just crazy, and that that just is very indicative of this industry where prices are inelastic. I mean, can you imagine the price of a Chipotle bowl going up ten percent every single year? It just it wouldn't happen. 
Yeah, it, it wouldn't. And, you know, you make a fair point, right? It's the right direction. And it's it's it shows that there is there's a social consciousness, a social contract out there that to try and contain these increases. But I think what a lot of people are looking at is saying, well, what's behind those increases? Is there did the did the cost to produce those uh, these drugs really increase 10 percent and you're passing that cost on? Or did the cost to produce those drugs increase 4% and you're padding profit by an extra 5%? And I, I think that, it, you know, it's a fair question to ask. I think we're, we've got to obviously move beyond this. We have to focus on innovation. We have to focus on how, how these drug companies are improving the lives of consumers and patients. And, um, and I don't know whether or not we'll be able to do that in 2017. But at its heart, that is what the sector is about. And I, I know that's why I love it. I'm sure you're the same way. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's fascinating when we see the phenomenal work that's getting done um, by companies, uh, which actually is a nice segue into the into another one that I had, which was, you know, let's stop. Let's resolve to stop hyping early stage phase one results. This is a good one. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's stop going out there and saying, hey, we've got this great phase one, you know, success story in a bid to be able to do an equity offering, uh, getting people, you know, convinced that this is going to be the next drug that's going to revolutionize Alzheimer's or or whatever. And, um, and, and let's focus more on, okay, phase three drug successes and, and growth for drugs that are already on the market, uh, tied to unit volume, not pricing. Yeah, I mean, the responsibility for this one has got to fall both on the companies themselves for for producing the hype, but also on investors. I mean, you can't blame people for being excited about new, innovative drugs. But once you actually translate that into the financial markets and you get these bloated valuations for very, very early stage companies, you get the kind of the volatility and the heartbreak that we've seen in a company like, let's say, Anavex. You mentioned Alzheimer's. This is a company that was taking a completely different approach to Alzheimer's. They had great phase one data, and then all of a sudden, phase two A, nope, there was a slight deterioration actually in the patients of their mental abilities, and the stock plunged fifty percent. Yeah, I mean, we as investors, we need to hold these companies accountable in by not buying shares based on phase. Phase one. Christine, you and I have talked about it before. 90% of drugs fail in clinical trials. 90%. So the likelihood of a phase one success translating into an FDA approved drug that's going to be a billion dollar blockbuster, small, very small. Yeah, and and maybe if there wasn't so much hype about early stage candidates, you would find the larger companies like Gilead better able to make early stage acquisitions because the prices wouldn't be as bloated. You know, it's and all, it's theoretically, they would they might have the experience uh, a greater level of experience that allows them to to recognize failures earlier on. So yep. I mean, yeah, there's I think that we can hold them accountable, and but they should also be holding themselves accountable, and they should resolve to do that this year. Right. So speaking of experience, I think we have time for one more resolution, and this one I'm going to to give to manufacturing issues. I think across the entire industry. We need to stop having drugs rejected by the FDA because of manufacturing issues. If you have a drug that works and is safe, it needs to be able to get to patients without being blocked by your facility not being up to par. 
Yeah, and you know, there's this. There were a host of them last year, Christine, that we talked about, where where the FDA said, nope, we're going to push back on this because we have some questions about how these drugs are going to get manufactured. It's it's. I don't want to say it's ridiculous, but come on. I mean, we, we you know, these we've been making biologics for a long time. A lot of these monoclonal antibodies, et cetera, have been on uh, being being produced for a long time. So there's, for me, I struggle to understand how it is that large companies, I'm going to call out Sanofi and Regeneron on this one, uh, how they're having some problems with their manufacturing that's causing delays in approval. Right. So the Sanofi Regeneron story, that one was a heartbreaker. So back in October of 2016, they received a complete response letter, a CRL, which is basically the thumbs down from the FDA for a rheumatoid arthritis drug because of manufacturing issues in one of the Sanofi facilities in France. And this was where the drug is filled and finished, so the very last step of the process. Interestingly, the active ingredient isn't even made there. It's manufactured by Regeneron all the way over in New York. But it was just because of this one last step in the process that the FDA had some sort of issues with the facility that all of a sudden they need to refile and fix these fix these problems before it can actually get to patients. Right. I mean, this was a drug that could have got approval in, in uh, late September, early October. Uh, potentially could be a billion-dollar drug for a rheumatoid arthritis. It showed really good responses versus Humira. Uh, and now you're wondering, okay, well, what happens in March? We got another drug uh, coming up that is also getting filled and finished at that same facility. Will that get approved or will that get delayed? Yeah, I think this would be a really good resolution for not just Regeneron and particularly Sanofi, but across the board, because we have seen it happen too many times in the past year. All right. Well, I think we are about out of time. Todd, thanks so much for helping me come up with this list. And hopefully some ears that can actually make these resolutions happen will be listening in on us. Folks listening, if you have any questions for us or just want to say hello, maybe give us some ideas for resolutions of our own, email us. Our email address is industryfocus at fool.com. We also have a Twitter account and the handle is at mfindustryfocus. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Have a happy new year and fool on.